<laughs> Hi, everybody. It's Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabb. Hello. Yet again, too much time has elapsed since the last um, podcast. God, I just... The mood is turning, you know. I went on this book tour recently, which is why there hasn't been a podcast, because we have yet to master that excellent thing that Ben Law sent oh. you that allows you to... I downloaded all of the software and then just... Oh, really? And then just... Oh. Just died of boredom, really. I, mean, <laughs> I know. We just downloading software, man. It's the worst. And then it kind of said, I'm sorry, you need to have Google Chrome for this. So mm. then I had to download Google. Oh. This is something, listeners, that you can through It's a real problem, but whoa. <laughs> record a podcast over Skype when you're not actually in the same location. But It sounds brilliant, but it's also just so many hoops to be jumped through. It's like when people give me directions to go somewhere. I can't. The second they say, okay, walk out the front door, go left, when you get to the end, go right. I'm exactly the same way. And it's just like, blah, 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 blah. And you know what makes it worse? If they say, all right, get out onto uh, Parramatta Road and go north. It's, oh, if there's yeah, no, any that's, mention that's of north, south, east, west. Oh, the yeah. other thing is when um, there's sort of a, one of the, I, I have really poor spatial awareness. So if somebody says, it's sort of um, diametrically opposite, but you just sort of walk past <laughs> that building and then, <laughs> Go a sharp left and then... And Even listening to you yeah, say this, it's like you've just started speaking <laughs> Swahili. Hey, someone made this really cool thing on Twitter the other day, which was Chat 10 Looks 3 Bingo. It had various squares. I saw that. That's so good. One of the things was me audibly eating. <laughs> which is happening right now. Well, I just thought of it because I started chomping on some I love nuts. how you charged up both your hands with nuts. Like, most normal humans or apes, <laughs> primate people just do it with well, the one hand. But no, you're fully charged. <laughs> Well, I just wanted to get in before you and make sure I'm covered. I've probably been that? hanging around my two-year-old too much. He does that. He needs both hands in stereo. What was that 7.30 story where I just texted you after it went to air because you were just egregiously stuffing your face the whole time <laughs> doing this interview? And it was really... Was that one about that lovely woman who gave a kidney to yeah. Mark Colvin? Yeah. And it's this incredibly touching story of redemption and friendship and, you know, happenstance. And you're just... Sitting there having tea with both of them, and you're just cramming your face with all the cake. <laughs> and I just thought, obviously, you had completely offended your editor on that day because, you know, Every a shot. kinder editor would have really <laughs> cut around that stuff. Hey, I meant to pour myself a drink before we sat down. Can you walk over with me? Cause, yeah, because we're tied I'm, together, we and it will take a really long time. Now, what I'm to... stuffing my mouth with is your special delivery from your cookbook, Spicy Nuts. Yes. Um, well, your cookbook's called Special Delivery. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. These are the spicy nuts, which are really, really delicious. And my mother's secret, spicy nuts. And her secret ingredient you is... Know, uh, her secret ingredient is the ingredient of shame, curry powder. Why is um, that the ingredient of shame? I don't know. There's powder. something... Um, I did this, um, I, I've, fun fact, this batch of nuts was um, taken to Stephen Fry, so you are kind of mm. indirectly eating from the same nut pool as Stephen Fry. Wow. Um, and I went and did this interview with him on stage in Adelaide um, very recently um, uh, in an event run by the Don Dunstan Foundation. Mm -hmm. And Dunstan, who is, I believe, the only Australian premier to have written a cookbook in office. Oh, incredible cookbook and he really? wrote it in 1976 
Um, one year after he had, um, with the South Australian government, decriminalised homosexuality, that was um, 40 years ago, and that was why Fry was in Adelaide to commemorate mm. this anniversary. Very generously turned up and, you know, said, yep, I'll do an event. Wow. Sold out in about 20 seconds, of course, because mm. Stephen Fry. Um, anyway, but the cookbook is the best thing. Sometimes I just go and dig it out and read it because it's so incredibly rude. Like, oh. it's rude about Australian food. <laughs> There's just no way a modern politician would ever write this book but right. it's got incredible recipes for the time as he grew right. up in Malaysia Don Dunstan and he was you know brought up eating these incredible curries and every now and again in this cookbook which has got quite elaborate dishes in it it's like recipes for gado gado like the sort of thing that you would just would never have heard of in 1976 Adelaide right. um, but there's this great passage where he just says well the Australian excuse for a curry is usually just a national embarrassment, you know, <laughs> meat swimming in watery gravy into which has been um, ne neglectfully stirred a tablespoonful of commercially prepared curry powder, possibly the world's worst substance. Oh. In some circumstances, sultanas will be added. Oh, you know. <laughs> he also has this, like, long rant about how um, ladies... Uh, bake tables aren't as good as they used to be. Like, it's just this, like, you would read it as a oh, constituent and just think, you asshole. <laughs> anyway, I love reading that book. He lost the ladies' bake demographic. Right yeah, now. right, exactly. But anyway, I felt a bit, I did serve these spicy nuts to fry mm. on stage at this event, thinking, oh, geez, Don so Dunstan would be rolling in his grave. in the grave. Oh, I felt, I enjoyed shocking. that aspect of it. But, and yeah. um, what was Stephen Fry like? Just um, incredibly pleasant and interesting and mm. kind of exactly like he looks on the tin, really. Um, mm. And, oh, look, it was... He, the way that the evening ran was he kind of paced around with his Fitbit on or whatever. Oh. He, he likes to exercise whilst on stage. <laughs> um, for about 45 minutes, and then we sat down and did a, um, a, a sort of a conversation thing. And, yeah, he was kind of riffing off the whole decriminalisation of homosexuality and, you know, what that meant historically and, and some of the legislative changes that are now kind of underway. And he got married earlier this year to his um, partner, Elliot. Um, and so he talked all about that. But for me, the bit that I... Like, there were two bits that I really loved about what he said. The first was when he talked about the day he can remember so clearly where he was home from school, sort of a bit pretend sick, I think, and he dug out the television that they kept in the cupboard for moon landings and stuff that weren't really allowed to watch, and he turned it on, and there was the film version of The Importance of Being Earnest, mm -hmm. and he said he was immediately just like a blow to the stomach, captivated by the language of this play, right? And then he, he memorised half of it as he listened to it. And then he rushed off to his mother and said, I've seen the most extraordinary thing. I don't know what it is. It's like, it's like a movie, but so much more fabulous. And um, she said, well, it's the importance of being earnest. It's, you know, it's a play. Um, you should get the book. And then she raced him to the library, got the book. He then read everything that Oscar Wilde had ever written. Oh, right. And then read the biographies and found out what had happened to Wilde. Mm. And then thought, well, God, that's going to happen to me because I'm, ex I'm gay too, which right. I haven't told anyone. Um, and it was just this incredible, the way that he talked about experiencing the language of that right. play, completely separate from any of the issues with Wilde or whatever, who he went on to play, of course, in the film, mm. um, was just so powerful and lovely to hear someone with 
his sort of a brain remembering so clearly how he'd responded to that language. It was mm. just really beautiful. And then he, he really weaved Wilde's life in and out of his talk. Did and it feel like he was just talking off the top of his head? He was totally just talking off the top of his head, but he's got that kind of but, brain but was it that cracked, is just... But he just makes it look like he's talking off the top of his head. I, no, I think it was... I think he's genuinely fairly comfortable in front of an audience. Right. And he, he is... Like, he's a great conversationalist. I think he's just having a one-sided conversation. I mean, he's addressing the audience. And it's sort of drifting around. Mm. It's not very structured. But it's like a sort of fabulously linked series of stories and reflections. So mm. by the end of it, you get this sort of great kind of collection of insights, but also some very funny stories. And he, was, he told this great story about the Queen, actually, because he knew... Like, he obviously knows uh, somebody who's, you know, close to the Queen in some way. I think he's best buddies with Prince Charles, so that would be my best, my best guess. But apparently someone in the room with um, the Queen when she was signing the legislation to legalise gay marriage in the UK... And there it is. Check interruption slash... If you're playing bingo, yeah. you can now cross off sales or This is the moment at which the neighbour... Should I shut the hammers. doors, do you think? <laughs> So now you're just going to listen. This is not really an audio type thing. That you're going to listen to two grown women in their 40s who are tied together by microphones and touch to a phone trying to close bifold doors while somebody... Or should we just go into my bedroom and shut the door? That might be easy. Wow. Let's do that. Let's <laughs> quickly. Man. That's an offer you don't get very often. No worries. No, no, no wonder you're married young. We don't, we, don't mind okay. a, we don't mind a bit of clanging love, in this yeah, podcast, but sure. that, that level of clanging is... Okay, okay we're in your new house too. Last time we Come were into in. my boudoir. We are now sprawled on your bed. Good, Allow good. Me to shut the door. This is such a nice house. Well done. Thank you very much. Okay, um, plonk on the bed. No points to the bastards you bought it from who failed to move out on time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just going to badmouth them all around the yeah. neighbourhood, let me assure you. Can we expose them on Saturday <laughs> in some way? Yeah. Yeah, that's all right. Um, no, that would be a Hidden camera coming to a workplace shortly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Anyway, so he told this story about uh, apparently on the day that she signed this legislation and it was, you know, a whole t pile of legislation, you know, um, Aqueduct Straightening Bill 2015, <laughs> you know, <laughs> public ordinance. Um, she apparently said um, when she reached it and she signed it, she said, imagine 65 years ago when I presented the throne that one day I should be signing legislation such as this. And then there was a pause and apparently everyone in the room went, oh God, what's she going to say? And apparently she then said, isn't that lovely? Oh, <laughs> thank goodness. I told that story, I'm like, great. Now you've just completely cemented monarchy for <laughs> all time by telling that story. Anyway, um, but uh, the other great story that he told, or it was more of a kind of an account. Someone had sent in a question just saying, um, if you could explain one thing about bipolar that would make it easier for people living with it or people who live with people who live with it mm. uh, to kind of understand and not say stupid things or, you know, what would it be? And he had this great analogy where he said that um, having bipolar or um, any kind of depression-related illness, he said the mistake you always make when you get it and you first experience it is you think that it's you, you know, you think there's something wrong with me, you know, what's, you know, and people do that whole snap out of it, you know, just cheer up or just, mm. you know. And he said it's, it's like the weather. It's like the weather. The weather changes, all of a sudden it's raining, you know, you can't help that. 
you can um, take precautions, flip out an umbrella, stay mm. inside. You know, you can get help to right. deal with the situation, but you can't control that situation, nor is it your fault. And it's right. absurd to think mm, that. What an interesting yeah, yeah, it was really interesting. And, um, mm. yeah. Have we talked about um, Reckoning by Magda Sabansky on this podcast? No, no, because I haven't read it. Um, it was fantastic. Um, one of my favourite books of the year, and she can really write. Um, and, in fact, the opening sentence I thought was up there with some of the best opening sentence, sentences I've read. I hope I don't get a single word wrong. See how really well-crafted sentence, yeah. every single word fits so well. It's, sorry, Magda, if yeah, you're listening. Sorry if I'm going to get it which wrong. Which I'm sure you're not. Um, Sales is going to murder. Like, <laughs> I, I think it is. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> I think it is. If you had met my father, you would never, not for an instant, have thought he was an assassin. Oh, God, it's just... Genius. How, yeah, how can that? you not read on? How could you yeah. not read on from that? And the whole book was, you know, like that was particularly good, but the whole rest of the book was very, very good. But what made me it's think like the of first it, line of um, Frank Morehouse's final um, book in the um, Edith Campbellberry trilogy, um, where he, where the first line is something like, um, "Hello, I'm your brother," said the man at the door. Oh. Great. Great. Right. And I'm away. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I interrupted you. Walks yeah. off the stage. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, she talks about a bit, I was just thinking when you said about when Stephen Fry was thinking when he realised he was gay, she talks about there's this quite moving bit where she goes and she's looking at herself in the bathroom mirror when she's a teenager and she's realised I'm a lesbian. Mm. And she says she's just looking at herself dealing with her own roiling homophobia and just disgusted herself. And I'd never thought about that before, that yeah. you yourself, as a gay person, could be homophobic. Mm. But she'd been raised in the Catholic Church. She went to a Catholic yeah. school. And so she'd been raised to think that this was just disgusting and, mm. and perverse. And so she's looking at herself, thinking all of these things about herself. Um, anyway, it's, I really, really recommend the book. It was fantastic. And it's mostly... I guess that kind of explains the whole history of repression, though, doesn't it? It's yeah, just, you know, escalated yeah. disgust when you when mm. it's kind of coupled, coupled with shame in some way. Yeah. But she was, you know, it's interesting because she's obviously <laughs> had an incredibly successful comedic career. Um, and I think comedians who are really good at it often are very, very good observers because yeah. um, they capture what's funny sometimes I think is truth and that you recognise mm. truth in what they're doing. Um, and so it's probably no surprise that she would bring that great observational skill to her writing, but how interesting that she was able to actually write you know, yeah. as well. So that was really... Um, Tremendous. What else was I going to so say? So hard to like. I'm incredibly impressed with um, you know, particularly public figures when they write a memoir that is genuinely frank. You know, mm. it must be so hard to. Yeah, and she's clearly um, she's clearly carved off some areas that she decided I'm not going into that. So, for example, she doesn't dissect any of her relationships yeah. in great detail. But she, some other bits, like about her family, are just remarkably frank. You know, I interviewed her for 7.30 when that book came yeah. out, and also what I thought was really interesting was I asked her a question. She clearly has had a lot of depression and also loneliness mm. in her life, struggled to fit in, hasn't had a lot of success with relationships and so on. And um, I said to her, yet yeah, she's been a very, very loved public figure mm. and um, often at the top of those Q score things, which is who, who does the public mm. most love. And um, I asked her, did the public adulation in any way make up for the private pain? Now, oh, that's an interesting question. The correct answer to that, you know, is probably, oh, no, no, no. But she said, um, 
Yeah, it did that. It does actually. Having people come up to you and say how much mm. they like you and whatnot. And I thought even that was just so honest for her to say, yeah, actually, it's nice to have people come up and tell yeah. you that you're great. Yeah. Because um, a lot of people would sort of try to dodge around that. So anyway, that was, um, she was great. Hey, last time we did the podcast, we left everyone dangling because I was about to go and meet Julie Andrews. No, and, and now you just have a different glow about you. It's just <laughs> touched by the hand. hand. <laughs> you did Andrews. manage to restrain yourself from actually like grabbing her and refusing to let go though. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, I felt pretty anxious. I went, in fact, I went to call you about three times during the day and then I thought, oh, get a grip. Because I kept thinking about things like her not being able to sing anymore and then I'd get all teary and feel terrible and I was thinking, oh, God. It would have been, I would just have paid money to see it if you had just like walked in and then at the moment you, you saw her, just your cocktail <laughs> of anxiety and adulation and kind of, and if you just launched yourself at her and said, oh, Julie, oh, God, you're <laughs> and then like just really snot cried all over it and I can, I can even picture her wearing like a really powder blue sort of jacket you know like one of those ones that's so lovely but then if it gets even a tiny bit damp it gets it's, really dark yeah, and so right. like weirdly enough it actually shows moistness more oh, and then in my there would be a kind of like a mucoid trail down her shoulder and then you'd try and do the interview and she'd be like pressing the panic button that's around her neck I love how much thought you given this it's like I know exactly the colour of the jacket all night thinking about it oh yes blue definitely blue I want a blue jacket powder blue powder blue <laughs> One of my friends, very good friends, said to me, she wouldn't be satisfied unless I came home with an autographed photo for her of me and Julie that Julie had scribed, inscribed, Dear Kath, what is it you can't face? Love, Julie. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Um, anyway, so um, Julie was very, very, very nice um, and exactly as you would expect and just full of, now, my dear girl, tell me about oh, your God. show and just absolutely adorable. But... Her people. Oh yeah, she'd be she'd be surrounded by the jaws of death. I mean, completely. And so, so Julie can continue to be just adorable and lovely, uh, and her people are just like evil forms of Satan. And so they were. So, including to the degree that so Julie's coming and she's all really nice, and then this man shuffles up next to me and says, um, "Excuse me, would you mind sitting on this?" And he's put in like a <laughs> sandbag. What? Under my on your ass. <laughs> he's pushed me up. Is that a normal precaution? <laughs> he's put a sandbag under my ass. So I'm slightly elevated. So Julie's face is tilted upwards into the light. Oh, for that extra dewy appeal. Yes. And so, because you know how, like, you know if someone ever takes a photo of you and you're looking downwards, yeah. it's really unflattering because yeah. everything falls forwards. Yeah. So if you're looking slightly up, everything falls backwards and the light sparkles into your eyes. And they were also directing me want lights here and there. As I was about to you roll. You, however, look like a massive heifer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like, I'm looking downwards <laughs> then. <laughs> what about me, well, I should have said. You've got to shoot a few generals in Julie <laughs> Andrews, Bill. I should have. That lady doesn't look that good at that age. Accidentally. I should have said, listen, Julie, you may have made a couple of films, but I'm the star of this show. And then just, like, hit a button that kind of, like, elevates her chair. <laughs> you didn't see that coming, did you, a Mossad agent that's currently in charge of Julie Andrews' security? Oh, my God. And then they would have just, like, taken you out with truncheons. <laughs> So her chief guy, we're literally about to roll. The cameraman said, okay, rolling. Now the guy's gone rolling. And so I've sort of almost taken my in-breath. And Julie's guy goes, so the only questions will be about my fair lady, which is what she's in Australia to direct. She was doing auditions. And I sort of went, um, excuse me? And he said, the only questions will be about my fair lady. And I said, um, 
no, I'll be starting with my fair lady, but then we'll be going where the conversation takes us. And he sort of said again, no, it'll be all about my fair lady. <laughs> and then I just thought, wow, this is getting ridiculous because this is the point at which I started to think, no, I'm prepared to look like an ugly old hag so Julie can be looking upwards, but I'm not going to be told what I can and can't ask. So anyway, we started and I was thinking... You should get him with your ass back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chucked it and hit him over the head with it. So I thought the second we roll, if he if he interrupts, um, you know, we're going to have to call an end to this. Anyway, he completely didn't and it was fine. But amazingly, I still came out of it, th and this is probably the whole goal, thinking Julie was delightful. Yes. So, yeah, very, very clever, I thought, because obviously part of her brand, it's yeah. so important that she retains the sort of lovely Julie Andrews. There's, there's probably, it's probably a, like a recruitment business in itself, isn't it? Mm. Assholes for hire to yeah. you know, protect people who are lovely. Yes. Because I can we see even Fry has that same. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get anyone. Um, Stephen Fry, because, I mean, this, people who are incredibly kind of friendly and interesting and obviously fabulous conversationalists, you know, yeah. on air, obviously <laughs> then get that sort of terrible whiplash effect of people then not constantly coming to their house in the middle of the night and thinking it would be nice to have a brandy with this person, right? So, <laughs> so you need the person at the gate to just go, no, get away. Um, so I got through Julie Andrews intact with my childhood nostalgia, you know, Great. There. Great. But oh, God. just when I thought it was my childhood was safe, guess who I'm interviewing next week? Han Solo. Han <laughs> Ford. Like that. Wow. That's like now it's just getting like, no, come on. I can't have God. two like childhood icons in a row. It's just going to be crazy. So I'm I sort of scared. He's sort of not got a great reputation either, Harrison Ford, for it. Yeah, I think I've read that he's a bit of a grump. Mm. It looks like a bit of a Wear a couple of bagels <laughs> on your ears. I'm sure no one's tried that before. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I going scan, 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 can't sing anything really. To, uh, I can play the theme music from Star Wars on the organ. Do you reckon that'd be a decent icebreaker? I just think it would make you look mental. Just really. <laughs> I bet he probably hasn't had that in an interview before. Can you imagine the sort of things people would show up for Harrison Ford interviews doing, like kids with their, you know, not kids, but journos with their childhood lightsaber yeah. or whatever crap? One um, of the um, <laughs> things that I know I keep just going back to, like, just I, I really have a limited window to say, as I was saying to Stephen Fry the other day. <laughs> so I'm just going to, like, that's all I'll say for a bit. Okay. Every time you say that, I'm going to go, well, Julie Andrews says. <laughs> something I'm planning to raise with Harrison. Clang! <laughs> Blang! Oh, watch your foot. Um, so while um, we were backstage, this is very exciting um, and probably a bit indiscreet of me, but um, well, bah. Uh, he's just, he received a phone call from Carrie Fisher what? asking him to come to the premiere of the, you know, Star Wars he movie. In London. And, um, and he was, because apparently his husband Elliot is this massive Star Wars oh. sort of super fan, oh, kind wow. of turn up to the conventions with wow. crazy eyes kind of person. <laughs> and, um, and so Stephen Fry says to Carrie Fisher, oh, God, darling, just love to come, love to come. And, and, and oh, God, is there, can I bring Elliot? And I'm thinking, oh, Stephen Fry is... is Nervous about trying to scam a ticket for his <laughs> husband to come to the... I just thought, I love that. Of course she said, That's absolutely. Not. But then I was just thinking about, imagine being Carrie Fisher, like, you know, you're in this one, you're in this movie, you know, for a tiny slice of your life, and then 
that is you, like you are mm. revered by these absolute hordes of people who can mm. recite the whole movie and, know, you know. And, and do you mind? I, I might have um, said this in a previous podcast, but you know the film Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah, yeah. So the guy who goes Bueller, yeah. Bueller. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he turns up in everything. He was in Howard the Duck. Yeah. Um, he's actually in <laughs> I remember for some reason. <laughs> he's actually an economics professor or something. He's quite oh, really? in economics, yeah. Um, anyway, he... Nine times... <laughs> You can imagine how many times oh, that guy God. over the course of his life has been just in an airport, in a cafe, wherever, and someone goes, Bueller, Bueller. Like, anyway, um, he, in the DVD extras of Ferris Bueller, is asked about Which it. you've seen. Of course. And he says, you know what? I just, I choose to not be annoyed by that. I choose to take pleasure out of it because I think I have given so many people so much pleasure. Oh, that's right, yeah. And so good on him for bringing that attitude to it. Yeah, that is a good attitude. Hey, now you have been on a book tour recently, spooking yes. special delivery. Yep. Those nuts were delicious, by the way. Um, I cannot believe... So the whole time that you've been out, every <laughs> single day, I'm not lying, I get a text message from you with a photo of something that a Chat 10 listener has baked it's, and brought. It is unbelievable. It was, without a doubt, the greatest thing about this book tour. Like... Going on book tour for a cookbook is just a pleasure anyway because you're just meeting nice people and talking about scones, basically. And, you know, there's a lot you can say about, um, I don't know. I mean, the book is all about sort of friendship and, you know, being nice to people. And um, But Julia Baird came up to me the other day and said, oh, you know, I really like the cookbook because it is about cooking for other people and it's about thinking about other people rather than like, um, you know, that there's a kind of, cookbook genre which is about looking after yourself or you know right. gut health or whatever <laughs> yeah. yeah um and because that sounds fun yeah no, no. <laughs> cookbooks with gut in the title <laughs> just <laughs> not quite ready i'm not ready I, I totally accept that they're useful but i also am not ready um but anyway so um uh the great thing is just these um oh, people who just show up to these events and having baked. It was the most incredible. And it was all about you, I'm afraid. I'm like, <laughs> I ended up signing some cookbooks from both of us. <laughs> like, well, you did come and thieve some did of the food during the... Did you do any during the... the... <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. Although it's crossed my mind. Um, uh, and some of them were incredible. I think, you know, too many to mention, mm, but thank really you were. to everybody for everything that you brought along. It's just like it's it just so made my day exciting. every day. When and you I just sent a little photo. text. Oh. Yeah, there's. Um, I met this um, the members too of a um, book club in Canberra that call themselves Chat Nine Looks Two, <laughs> which is very funny. Half of them work at Treasury, which so their inability to count, I think, is probably <laughs> a matter of national concern. Um, but. Uh, look, there are a couple. There's a clear winner in the Bake Off. I think we have to agree, right? Yeah, there definitely but, um, is. Yep. There were some um, great other moments. Um, Marion Kruger, um, who tweets us at Smitten Kitten in um, Canberra, just brought the largest box of peanut butter brownies. They oh dear great. God, so delicious! Yum. And just like you could actually get. Um, stuck in some sort of post-apocalyptic panic room situation and live, like, ten people could live off this box of brownies for about a I was month, texting so. you, like, hourly, going, yeah. are you back yet? Yeah, are you back yet? When are they going to be here? Get them around here. Um, 
And um, in um, Reading's Hawthorne, I was approached by these two fabulous ladies called Suzanne Lowe and Kath Murdoch. Um, and they <laughs> brought in what I think is a real, I, I'm interpreting as a real slap to you, <laughs> the most fabulous little shortbreads cut into the shape of fairy rings <laughs> and dusted with, like, blue sprinkles. <laughs> so good. And really nice oh. shortbread too. Oh, that, that was just fantastic. I just thought it was fantastic. Even though, yes, I do take it as a vague slap to the face, but nonetheless, I applaud your creativity and the so amount of good. effort that would have gone into that. They were fantastic. So um, we should retweet some photos of some of these so if people haven't seen them, they can. Yeah, absolutely. But for my – there was – you sent me one photo and I did scream – because it was so good, and that was somebody who made gingerbread look like Helen Garner. And it really did look like Helen Garner. It we'll was definitely fantastic. retweet a picture of this. So set the scene. I'm in Perth um, at a like literary lunch thing. And I'm going around the tables just saying hello. It was a really nice atmosphere. There were just, you know, this is the cookbook things. Mm. People turn up because they're happy, you know. Right. And you don't, you really don't get that person at events who stands up and then gives you like <laughs> half an hour on their views on the Middle East or whatever, you know. Like you often get in kind of. I'd like to make a comment events. about cream of tartar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of one of these um, questions that somebody sent in for Stephen Fry because I met Stephen Fry quite recently. Clang. Yeah. We... <laughs> yeah. Actually, the best thing that happened afterwards was we were both on the same plane, although he was oh, sharp end, I was sure. bum end, and um, <laughs> back to Sydney and I got off and he was, you know. It was... Hi. Sorry. <laughs> I forgot to put my phone on airport mode. Yeah. Well... Anyway, Crab was just telling us yet again <laughs> about meeting Stephen Crab. <laughs> so he's at the sharp end of the plane, you're at the Yeah, we get off yeah. and um, uh, <laughs> and I just sort of go up to him and like just to say thanks again. <laughs> For last night, you were wonderful, <laughs> and I think because I—here's th my excuse—I'd had my hair down on stage, but of course I just looked like an absolute bush rat. Like the next day, I had my glasses on and like oh, hair. Yeah, kind did of he like, not and, you. and he kind of like looked at me, and I and was sort of had, and he had his kind of like thank you very much, local <laughs> lunatic face on, and then about two seconds later, he's gone. I said thanks so much for last night. He's like yes, yes, fine, thank you very much. Oh, lovely to meet you. And I'm like, um, <laughs> you were very. Oh, was and then he's just like, oh, Jesus, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was very good. Very good moment. Um, um, yeah, so the Helen Garner bread, you're at the Pantheater oh yeah. Lunch. Yeah. And then this, um, I get to this fabulous-looking lady with the best pink hair, um, and she hands me these two packages, and she says, look, one's for you and one's for Lee. And I look at this cellophane covering, and it's the best gingerbread person ever. Oh, it was and amazing. then it was like it's, there was layers of kind of recognition of the scale of this woman's achievement. <laughs> um, her name's Christy Diffie, which is we love you, Christy we love Diffie. you, Christy that Diffie. That was awesome. Um, and then it becomes clear that it is not just an excellent gingerbread person; it's a portrait of Helen Garner <laughs> in gingerbread, <laughs> and it says Helen Garner breads. What about and the scarf? That, it, there's a jaunty scarf. Yeah. There's a fondant, full fondant clothing. It's exactly She's got the hair perfect. It's the author it's photo, just, I think, from Joe Chinkway's Consolation, at least, out. maybe even from the most recent one. It was just, and she's holding a, a stone in her hand for the first stone. Also made of uh, fondant. And one of my kids ate off Helen Garner's legs, so I ate the rest. I, and it was really good gingerbread, too. I'm having mine actually um, laminated, I think. I haven't yeah. eaten it. Right. Um, 
What about yeah, the next day when yours was eaten by your children? You were kind of like <laughs> well, we horrified. also we texted it to Ghana to yeah. show her, and she also loved it. So um, I sent her a, a picture of it, and her first response, I've got it here because I never clean anything out. Uh, and she said. Ha 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 ha! I'm dancing all the way to Virgil Reading Group. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's not many authors that could say they've had a um a gingerbread made of them. Oh, so good. Now um, we're out of time. Oh God, what, already? Yes. And do you know what I was thinking? That tradie out the back who was clanging. Yeah. All they will have known is that we've just come into my bedroom and shut the door. I know. And yes. Now we're about to come back. Sapphic out. good times at the sales <laughs> household. The neighbours will all be like, "Oh, what's going on over there?" Um, okay. So Can I just say something? Um, since we've been talking about the lovely podcast um, audience, yes. who have. Um, Oh, and maybe we should keep it. I'm going to make an observation that I might keep until the last, um, our last podcast of the year. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry, that's what an awkward clunky end. That's called a... Well, um, yeah, that was Stephen Fry. That's Who called I met? a... <laughs> Clang. That's called a cliffhanger, people. <laughs> yeah.